Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? Hey, how's it going? Samson Folk here with the Raptors Weekly Podcast. That's right. Every Monday, no matter what, it's a train on the tracks, self-determining and headed straight towards that Monday drop. You're listening to it. I hope you're enjoying it so far. Today, a very special guest, somebody I talked to last year and somebody who is what I would call a renaissance woman on the scene, an international broadcaster based out of Toronto. She's doing tons of stuff, so much so that we decided before the podcast that we weren't even going to name it all. You can go look it up if you want, but most importantly, do so at S-M-R-T-A-S-H. That's her ad on Twitter. Ashley Docking, how are you doing? I'm doing really wonderful. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. What, what do you Thanks think about the tagline of, of Renaissance Woman? It makes me sound old and that I eat full turkey legs with my hands every Friday, so I'm fine with half of it. Do you think Renaissance is like a dated term? I thought it was like very, very quick, very fast. Like, you know, it's it's a reference to the Renaissance period where a bunch of different people did a bunch of different things. Not that you wear, you know, a corset and all that stuff, but that you do so many things, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't offensive, so I appreciate it. Thank you for not offending <laughs> me with your first sentence. Okay, we're on the, we're on the right thing. I think things I, are going I treaded, well. I treaded water similarly last time, if I if I remember correctly. Do you remember anything of that kind? I do not. Okay. Well, then that means that you won't remember this whenever we <laughs> yeah. discuss. Not to things. say it didn't stand out to me, but I don't remember anything specific. Actually, I do remember you introducing me to the what was that medieval slanging device? Oh, a trebuchet. The trebuchet. I do remember that vividly. That was great. I, it's not often I get to introduce people to the trebuchet, but I was very excited for that. Uh, <laughs> something else I'm very excited for, we're, we get to kind of put on our prediction hats because this podcast will come out after the Raptors play the uh, Golden State Warriors. Are, is there anything that pops off about that game? Just like the flashbulb idea of what that game might be in your mind? Oh, I feel like it could be really bad. Um, and I hate doing, I don't like doing predictions, generally speaking, as a rule of thumb, um, because there's so many facets and there's so many th- things that can change on a minute to minute basis. Mm-hmm. But the Warriors are rolling and the Warriors have not been good for a, a couple of years. So they're really relishing in this. And I think that they probably feel like they owe the Raptors a little something, even though it's been a few (laughs) years since the Raptors won their championship in 2019. But from an, like an athlete's mentality, I think there's still 
some kind of get back needed, in my opinion, every time you see the team that took you down in the finals and effectively ended your reign as one of the top teams in the NBA after a really great run of over half a decade, that there you want to kind of show them a little something. And so just the trajectory of the Warriors with the inconsistencies of the Raptors, even though they're coming off that big win against the Kings, I'm a little worried, honestly. Yeah, a 14 and two team led by the braggadocious uh, Draymond Green as quoted as saying, don't let us get another one. And that's obviously not just directed at Toronto, but the whole league, because Draymond Green knows exactly how annoying he would be if he won a championship. And, you know, kudos to him for for seeing that. But yeah, 14 and two, the Raptors at eight and nine and certainly not asking for any predictions. But is there anything you're looking forward to as far as the the matching up of a Fred Van Vliet versus a Steph Curry, for example, or Precious Achua and Kim Birch and Pascal Siakam trying to maintain the spacing defensively as they try and keep up with all these Steph Curry involved actions and Draymond Green and Wiggins and all those guys. So I know Fred's going to get a big workload, right? He has all season, mainly because the offense takes a major dip when he's off the floor. There really is no one to act like a floor general to him. The thing that does concern me is if he is going to be chasing around Steph Curry for a certain amount of time, and he's already had groin injury issues, I just hope it's not too much for him because he's somebody who won't stand down in those moments. He will try and push through. And it's like, what number of games in the season? 18, I believe, is the Warriors game. So I'm looking forward to him trying to assert himself because we saw a great matchup between him and Steph um, in the finals. Of course, they've played each other since, but I think that that's kind of the the benchmark here now that Toronto has um, reestablished themselves in their own city. This is a normal road trip as opposed to like a Tampa West Coast road trip. Um, I'm also looking to see if their defense can balance their penchant for risk taking, which is why they lead the league in steals. And I, I'm not sure they must be top like five in deflections or something like that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but balance that penchant for risk taking with the foundational elements of defense, because oftentimes one negates the other. And that's why their defensive Um, performances have been a little bit sketchy at times and they've um, not necessarily, they've been in the bottom third of the league in terms of most of their defensive metrics um, because of their willingness to take risks. So there has to be some kind of balance at some point. And I think that Pascal Siakam, as you mentioned, um, can really have a major factor in that if he decides that he's able to balance, again, his offensive production with his defensive responsibilities. That's, yeah, excellent. Something I've been excited for to see with the Raptors, typically guys like Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Precious Sachua, they can switch across multiple actions and well, you know, almost limitless actions actually. And they've done so, so far this year and they're playing against the Warriors team that I remember last year, the Warriors played Miami and what Miami did, well, what both teams did to each other actually was guarding screens. They were top locking and the Raptors, I think are uniquely equipped to top lock screens against Steph Curry, depending on who they want to isolate against him. So I'm very excited to see if they do that as a defensive schematic. But listener, this is why Ashley is one of the best at what she does is because I didn't even say we were going to talk about this. I just kind of, you know, 
threw this at her and she responded fantastically. But okay, we're going to get back on track for- Are we under the bus? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Hey, so well, talk to me about the advanced metrics from cleaningtheglass.com about this particular player who played 45 minutes total in the NBA six years ago. Ash? <laughs> Thanks. That's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Okay, but this, to get into something more general. So, favorite moments from the season so far. The Raptors are at eight and nine. And here we are sitting doing a podcast. There's been good things. There's been bad things. I'd like to focus on the good. Does anything come to mind for you right away? Well, I think just, I kind of touched on it before. I think just being at home again, the home opener was so nice for everybody because you know, what an awful experience to be away from home for so long. And I understand that the team is not necessarily Canadian in terms of what their passport says, but if you've even gone on an extended road trip, sometimes you're just like, I can't wait to get to something that is my home base. I mean, you travel all across the world. Um, I don't know if you've had those moments where you're like living in paradise in a tropical climate, but you're like, yeah, maybe a little bit of a Saskatoon moment could really feed my soul right now. And so I love that they were able to kind of get home, recenter, refocus in a year where they lost their, their heartbeat in Kyle Lowry and be able to try and figure out a way to redefine exactly who they're going to be. I enjoyed that. And then obviously the Fred Van Vliet big balls moment against Philadelphia was iconic immediately instant classic what what did you think about his groin injury right after wasn't that kind of absurd <laughs> it was foreshadowing <laughs> my god he's been lugging those things around for so long you know yeah, exactly <laughs> we something. don't understand his plight it's terrible yeah. uh what what is your home base is it toronto or is it elsewhere it's toronto i grew up in scarborough ontario um so that's where i lived for my entire life and then i moved downtown I would say shortly after I got back from working out in Edmonton, where which is where I went um, after I graduated. Is there anything about Edmonton that I should know? Because since I grew up in small town Saskatchewan, Edmonton was like not the last bastion, but perhaps the first bastion of metropolis for me. And the West okay. Edmonton Mall was maybe the greatest invention on earth for a small sound. <laughs> when I finally got to go there, I was just gobsmacked by the the decadence of it all. So I actually think the West Edmonton mall is overrated. Um, yeah. I, I think that it's one of those things that when it was created, it was, it was everything. And you had all these seal shows and a skating rink and a roller coaster that maybe you shouldn't really trust, but here we are with two tickets and sitting in the front row. <laughs> but it it seems like one of those things that wasn't necessarily maintained. You know what I'm saying? Like a guy who peaks in high school, it's like, well, what did you do after you just are trying to like ride the coattails of your fame from early on. That's kind of what the West Edmonton mall means to me. But, um, in terms of Edmonton in general, I really loved it for a number of reasons, mainly the, this is going to sound, I guess, a little bit hippy dippy, but I liked the proximity to nature. I liked that you could be in the city and then walk five steps to the south and you were in the river valley. And so um, that dichotomy kind of spoke to me. Wow. So the West Edmonton mall, the the analogy is a guy who peaked in high school and, and he's not, he's not meeting new women. He's just trying to reconnect with women. He knew earlier when he had cachet as a cool person, that type of thing. Or even worse, like going back and trying to connect with like sophomores or juniors, you know, the Matthew McConaughey 
the they keep, is that what I you think getting, of Matthew McConaughey? Well, no, 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 no. From uh, what I can't remember the name of the movie. I keep getting older. They stay the same age. What? That's a very famous quote. It obviously oh, doesn't. Isn't, was he a photographer? No, it's uh, what? What the hell is the movie called? It's like a staple. I don't remember it. I don't, Let me look no, it up. No, I'm thinking of. I'm trying to think of Matthew McConaughey movies. Obviously, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days, um, The Cadillac mm-hmm. Lawyer, uh, Ghost of Girlfriends Past. Um, Did you say the Cadillac lawyer isn't the Lincoln lawyer? Oh yeah, Lincoln. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Okay. Big fan of that movie. Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused. That's what it is. Oh, I haven't seen that. What? Oh well, you know it doesn't age that well. I guess. No. Since, well, he's a creep, right? Like he's what, like twenty six, and he's like, yeah, trying to go with seventeen year olds, and he's kind of looked at as the cool guy in the movie. Uh-oh. We have a lot. We have a lot to reckon with as me. I was going to say that's definitely shot through the male gaze. Yep. Uh, what's, what's, <laughs> is it the Bechdel test? The Bechdel test? What is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, we've been talking about things outside <laughs> the periphery of basketball. Edmonton, for example. Uh, if there's any Ed- Edmonton fans who are huge fans of the West Edmonton Mall, uh, my apology. But uh, let's move on to obligatory Pascal takes. Mm-hmm. This is something, oh God, I, I know you are not as on Twitter, as many people who uh, operate in the sphere. And I know this because your, you know, your tweet activity is significantly lower than someone like myself, which congratulations, because that's objectively a good thing. But being on Twitter means I am, I don't know, privy to a lot of the dialogue going on. And the dialogue around Pascal Siakam continues to be, I would say, not toxic, but extremely annoying and if I were Pascal and I saw it I would find it to be just like what the hell can I even do for you guys do you want me to be God like it doesn't seem like there's a winning scenario for him with you know many of many people in the fan base I happen to like Pascal a lot I've been very happy with his return to the team even though they started out without any wins I didn't think that was his fault I just thought you know the team is playing bad he's one of five on the floor at any given time and sometimes even zero of five And he had one of the highest efficiency scoring games on a big number of points, 32 against the Kings, headed against the Warriors. What have you thought about Pascal since his return? So I thought he's been obviously a little up and down, but I commend him on his bounce back performance. Obviously abysmal against Utah, 2 of 14, 0 of 4 from 3, 4 points. Not much in the way of rebounding either, five dimes, but yeah, his his Kings bounce back was great. I think that I one of the things that I love is when NBA players or professional athletes or just anybody in the spotlight who feels to a lot of people like they're in a different stratosphere say things that tend to be a little bit more relatable and i find that it's good for fans to take a second and kind of reflect on the things that they're saying in a relatable sense and so when pascal said i'm i tend to be an overthinker i tend to kind of replay things too much or maybe critique himself or go back over things that no one else is thinking about. Um, I kind of felt that a little bit. I think there's a bit of an overthinker in all of us to different degrees. Um, And of course, there's a lot on his shoulders. Uh, There's a lot on the line. 
you know, you, you get a contract, you become a fan favorite for playing over your head earlier than expected. So people are really high on you. And because of that success, they expect you to maintain a certain level of performance. And that consistency has been missing in the past for him in certain areas. And I think that people really underestimate the fact that consistency is really what makes you super successful because some players can uh, burst out and have a massive game and then they're quite quiet for months and then they have a big signature game and then you don't hear about them for the rest of the year. And that's not necessarily what allows for you to have an impact on your team on a nightly basis. I absolutely don't want to throw this player under the bus, but an example that I come up with in this instance is someone like Terrence Ross, for example, his ability to just go off and score 30, 40 points out of nowhere is invaluable for a team at times. But if you ask a manager or a coach, or maybe I'll ask you this question, would you rather somebody who can periodically drop 40 or would you rather somebody who consistently drops 17? And I think that that's kind of what's been missing for Pascal, um, throughout the last couple of years is just that consistency where he has down, down stretches and people really get on him. And maybe he's doing some of the things that don't show up on the stat sheet, but bringing that consistency, I think is his next step. Yeah. It's certainly the point you make overall about consistency. That's the whole thing is a guy can go for 40. There's tons of players in the NBA who are just oozing with potential with talent who can pop off, you know, like Mm -hmm. the Minnesota Timberwolves for years, House guys who just randomly would have a 50-point outburst, the Corey Brewer 50-point game, the Mo Williams 50-point game. And Mo Williams certainly a better career than Corey Brewer as far as point scoring, but you get the idea. Having a guy who's consistent means that you can build out a, a scheme offensively around what he's going to bring to the table or she's going to bring to the table if we're talking WNBA. And it's fantastic to see a guy like Pascal if he's going to harness that consistency. Although I think maybe the inconsistency is a bit overplayed mm-hmm. and whether that's fans or media, whatever, but it's uh, it's a bit overplayed, but it's still, it's rooted in a bit of truth. He is more inconsistent than some of his contemporaries. That, that's for what's like the expected. Whole point. I think yeah. for the expectation level too, like where were the standards being set? And I was pretty vocal for a while about Siakam being miscast as like the number one guy, particularly when Kyle was still there, particularly with the leap that was expected once um, Kawhi left. But I think for the first time this season, he really does have that opportunity to kind of step up and be the guy while the Raptors go as you go. But he still does have buffers like Fred Van Vliet and the spotlights on Scotty a ton too. Um, but he has to want to upstage them every night and not in a way that you're forcing your game, but the desire to just be the one who, who leads on any given night. Yeah. Even just from an optics uh, point of view, it's a very interesting situation because even because he's injured, that's why you didn't mention him, but the top point scorer on the team right now is OG Ananobi. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's the whole thing, right? Is the, the offense, especially in, from a game to game standpoint is quite egalitarian. Like Pascal, the reason why he didn't shoot that much against Utah in the first half, he really forced it in the second half was because there wasn't a lot of shooting on the floor. Utah packed the paint against him. And that's why he was passing a lot. Most of the assists he had in that game were in the first half because he was passing against a a sunken defense. And so Mm -hmm. in the second half, when other guys weren't shooting, he was like, all right, I got to get shots up. 
And that <laughs> did not go well at all. That, you know, in fact, I, I would say it went very poorly. And so like, that's the interesting thing is he has to be better at navigating those really difficult positions because it's not that you have to go and carry the world. It's that you have to navigate difficult positions for the team because superstars are put in those uh, difficult positions. Mm -hmm. As far as like uh, more minute stuff, is there anything small that you've liked from his game so far or disliked even? Um, I've liked that he's seemingly, I guess, a little bit more confident shooting the three, I find, or at mm -hmm. least taking different looks. Like he's been shooting from three. Maybe he's come off the dribble a little bit. He's still got his spin move in his bag. So that's great as well. I think that one thing I would like to see a little bit more, and it was honestly... I don't like to necessarily hold something against somebody that happens like once and early and then never again, but once actually twice and early in the Kings game, he had two turnovers in his first two possessions. And one of them really stuck out to me when he got, had a turnover at the top of the break, he wasn't sure if he was going to shoot the three or he was going to pass to Gary Trent jr. I believe who was just to the right of him. Mm -hmm. And he kind of like pump faked and then was like, uh, and then passed it. And then just like being more decisive, I think. Um, and again, that kind of, can be a double-edged sword um, to your point about him forcing it in the second against Utah, where it's like, well, decisive doesn't necessarily mean um, forcing something, but I think I just, I think he's kind of a guy who's like, listen, I'm going to do what I'm going to do now. And, and hopefully it works. And if it doesn't, we'll, we'll adjust and adapt. But what I would like to see is more of a lead on defense. I think, um, Although again, he does have a little bit of leeway in that sense, just because of the defenders and the length, as you mentioned earlier, that they are surrounding themselves with. But um, your point about their offense is, is well made that it's, I, you're not really sure like what you're going to get on a night to night basis. And I don't know about you. I've been surprised speaking of OG, um, how much more they've utilized him kind of down in the post over the last little while, as opposed to something um, like, you like setting screens for him or anything like that. Like he's ISO and he's a post guy, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. This is a real Samson folk hours. It's two years ago. I wrote about this because I, every once in a while I get the urge to typically because I am so online and I see the conversations that happen around certain players and I want to offer a definitive point of view. So like what I did with Pascal last year was I looked at every possession and then I charted it all by defender and by the outcome and by what type of play was used. And I've done that for OG a few times. And when I did that early on, I found that he was very, very effective in the post. Yeah. And so now to see him actually being utilized in the post is like the best thing ever for me because I've mm -hmm. been kind of hand wringing about this for like two years now. So to see him develop that and for the team to actually put faith in those possessions and for it to go well, uh, particularly yeah. with like Scotty and Kim, who are both just really cerebral in the way that they cut around the basket and find soft spots. Precious, who has had, you know, he's actually linked together. A couple of his defensive games have been okay, but offensively, he's still not quite sure how to move off ball. But the other two guys, they work off of OG's gravity in the post very well. I'm excited to see what happens with Pascal. But you brought up the the willingness to shoot. I think that's the whole thing. A lot of his game looks familiar, as it should. He was an all-NBA player, and he's trying to get back to that point. If he's doing things well, this is stuff we all should recognize. But as far as last year to this year, just the quick trigger and the ability to get the ball up, I think, is really great for Pascal. And also, you know, similarly, you brought up the turnovers. Not only that, but it's 
you, you talked about decisiveness versus forcing it. That's a great point is because the, the best players in the league are decisive in getting to where they want rather than, you know, manipulating the defense and seeing what happens. It's predetermined type of playmaking or predetermined type of shot making because they know it's low yield, but they're just going to work on their talent. Like DeMar DeRozan, why is he so valuable in Chicago? Because he's a great playmaker, yes, but because he's so good at getting to his spots and bailing out offensive possessions and keeping the offense afloat at times. And he's not going to turn the ball over ever. You don't have to worry about that. That's where Pascal has to learn to mix and match and know how he's going to affect the defense before the defense comes onto him. And I think whether he's passing out of the air or whether it's swing passes where he passes it directly to Tyrese Halliburton, like that play you mentioned, (laughs) that stuff is bad. It is not good. And so there's a little bit of processing stuff that I think he has to work through a bit quicker, but I've still been pretty happy with the playmaking overall, but the points you make are, are great ones. I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say like, like almost you're talking about having an escape plan, right? Is sometimes you need to be operating not with the intention that you're going to fail or that you're not going to be able to get the best of your man or the zone or what it is you see on the offensive end, but you almost need to have a contingency plan in place, right? That's always smart, no matter what it is, whether it's business, whether it's your personal life and definitely whether it's basketball, particularly if you're testing um, the, the paint of a defense, if we're talking about a drive and kick, or we're talking about trying to make your way to the elbow and seeing what's available to you, or even getting all the way to the rim. What is your contingency plan? And so a lot of that also has to do with knowing who's on the floor with you, knowing where they're supposed to be on any given play, because one of the things that I think particularly a lot of maybe younger basketball players make too, is that they're worried about what they're doing in a particular action. And of course, listen, I'm not likening somebody who's playing I don't even know, like rep basketball or their first year in AAU to an NBA player. But it is a common practice to just be so absorbed with what it is that you're doing, whether you're in pick and roll action, whether you're a dribble handoff, and then not worrying about everybody else. But you do need to, if you're going to be involved in that playmaking action, understand where other people are, where they should be, or where they like to be if there's more of a free flowing aspect to the offense. And so if you're able to kind of have your finger on the pulse of the other four people, as well as the five defenders, which isn't easy, that contingency plan can really make you look good when you get yourself into a little bit of a pickle sometimes. You perfect because you said escape plan. First thing that came to my mind was escape from uh, Finding Nemo. But then I immediately thought, what is the other term for this? The term that they would use in politics. And then you said it. And I was like, contingency. That's the word. Yeah, perfect for me. Enjoyed that a bunch. Okay, here's the thing. You are the queen of TikTok, Raptors TikTok, whatever, whatever, you know, uh, superlatives you want. Uh, associate them with what I'm saying, please. And thank you. But it's almost been a full season of your TikTok recaps. And by the way, Raptors recaps are like a highly contested area, right? Sometimes Sean Woodley does them. William Liu does them. Raptors Republic has me doing them on the podcast channel and it has its live show, uh, the wrap up as well. And you do it as well. And probably there's smaller like blog sites that do additional stuff too. Like I don't know of any other market that has as much going on as Toronto media as far as like post-game coverage. So that's very cool. But here's the thing. You're almost a full season in. We talked about this, you know, not at the exact same point in the year last year, but a similar point in the season. And just because of the way the seasons have been a little bit strange. But here's the thing. They're super funny. 
I don't know how you collect all these memes. I don't know how you, you do it all. And so, you know, I, I do a version of my own, so I understand it to some degree, but particularly the, the video interface of it all and all the memes and everything like that. How do you do it, Ashley? It's, it's very intriguing to me. <laughs> Tell me your secrets. <laughs> um, I have honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like there's been some iteration of this brewing in my brain for a really long time. And I don't think it's necessarily a super unique way of delivering information where it's like line pop culture reference line, pop culture reference. Um, I think that maybe I differentiate because I have maybe a wider range of reference points. I was really upset, actually. No one, at least they didn't say to me that they got like the Pointer Sisters reference when OG was out because of a hit pointer. And then I played a Pointer Sisters song, but that also not, might not be my demographic. Um, so just trying to find little things that I can connect to storylines and seeing if um, other people will, I guess, kind of get in on the joke with me. Um, otherwise, sometimes I use it to say things that I don't actually want to say because maybe they might have a negative connotation. So I just let somebody else <laughs> take that opportunity so that it doesn't look as bad as me uh, on me. Excuse me. Wow. So you're, you're delivering the slander through the voice of another. That's, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Based I'm pawning it off. I'm not standing tall in my convictions. Okay. You know, there's there's value in that. Also, the Pointer Sisters, just a fantastic R&B group. It did some bebop, did some funk, some blues. Like, that's a, a hell of a reference for me Thank anyway. You. I'm the demographic. What What is your demographic, do you think? Like, who 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 fits into... Now, here's a funny thing. Some people on Raptors Republic, some commenters refer to themselves as, and please don't laugh at me about this, but oh, Samsonites. No, have- Samsonites. No. Yes, okay. And did here's you make the thing. that up? No, no, dead ass. You, you like there's you, there's comments you can go see, and they're, they're probably listening to this right now. Big shout out to you guys, the Samsonites. But oh what what is your demographic, Ashley? Who who are you it's, selling yourself to? It sounds like somebody who would open for the Pointer Sisters. The well, you know, uh, I'm a Renaissance man myself. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't honestly, I don't know. I think that my demographic is just a sports fan. I think that I I really enjoy the fact that it seems that women as much as men consume my content, which I'm really proud of because traditionally the sports space has been male dominated. So I like that it resonates um, across the board in in that sense. I I don't know. I think it's just people who like hoops and sometimes you'll get the references and sometimes you won't, but really and truly the whole idea was derived from the fact that we couldn't watch games with our friends and family. And I started doing it because I missed little offhanded comments sitting on the couch in someone's living room while you're all watching the same thing unfold. And sometimes it's things about gameplay and sometimes it's little nuances from the game. Like the microphone kept picking up Nick nurse so loud Mm -hmm. last game. And so like, that's fun. That's something that I would talk about with people that I was watching it with, but because of COVID, the pandemic and lockdown, we kind of missed that communal aspect of it. So I guess I would say my demographic was anybody who missed the communal aspect of basketball. And that was an integral part of their viewing experience to try and bring that together online. Is that extroverts, extroverts who are missing out on something uh, that they used to have and introverts who are, you know, getting something that they didn't have prior, perhaps. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a heartwarming message. I, that's a, a fantastic answer. What percentage of anyone. games? Don't yeah, tell okay. anyone I'm sentimental, okay? Okay, well, we'll see how many people <laughs> listen to this podcast. You might Samsonites. be in trouble. 
<laughs> yeah, the Samsonites. Uh, how, what, what percentage of games do you think you take in with other people prior to the pandemic? Um, 30%. That's high. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was watching a lot of games with my grandmother, and that was something I enjoyed a lot because her commentary is so different from what I would normally hear. But right. Raptors games for me have become kind of like this Zen space, I think, because it's so intimately, you know, associated with my work. And mm-hmm. I also have to, you know, same as you, although without pop culture references, typically, I have to try and distill the game right afterwards. And uh, the re- the recaps I do are typically kind of more analysis based and very specific in that area. So I'm really trying to absorb during a game. So it's not like a huge communal thing for me. It's right. more so like uh, this very focused, kind of like plugged in thing. And then if I'm going to be quippy at all, it's just something I find time to tweet out on Twitter or anything like that, which is, you know, stepping away from it, an alienating thing and probably not as healthy as a communal thing. But I'm intro- an introvert by nature. So I think it fits kind of my quirks and rhythms. Do you miss watching basketball? Just like a fan. Well, I, I do sometimes. I do sometimes. And so, and I can't help myself at times. I'm just like, oh, well, like you're watching play action. You're honing in on somebody in particular. You know, as you said, you're making notes maybe for the recap that you're going to do. In my case, maybe I'm making a video about something. Um, and so there's an element of me that kind of misses just m- more mindless consumption. Yeah, like that's a good point. And yeah, I never want to belabor this because, you know, it's a really cool job to be able to do. Sure. Everybody everybody who does it wishes it paid more, but it is, it, it, you know, admittedly <laughs> and objectively a cool job. But for me, especially, it's every, and you now, right? It's every single game has, you know, every game is work. And even with like bouncing around and I mean, a basketball and the other stuff I do is like every single basketball game I watch is tied to work that I will do. So there isn't, yeah, it doesn't mean it's not enjoyable. It's just tied to work. So it kind of changes that, that aspect of it. So yeah, that's a good point. I don't watch basketball to relax anymore. Whereas I used <laughs> to like kick back and like watch a game and I used to let, you know, in a different way, right. You, you know, fans let the game affect them. Like, Oh, you know, the 2015, 16, Raptors lost the game to the Sacramento Kings early on in the season. It's like they were five and one before this, you know, now they're five and two and everyone's going to say that they're not real contenders or something like you're worried about that kind of stuff, fan Mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, I don't worry about that stuff anymore. I've become clinical and removed from the Raptors situation. Yeah. That's, I think that's where I sit. Speaking of numb, speaking of feelings, speaking Uh of things that elicit emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Quotes. We yeah. attach to them. I, I've i been obsessed with Dune for some time now. I read the, I read the books with my dear friend, Louis Zatzman. I watched the movie. I thought it was great. And a quote in there is the fear is the mind killer quote. It's very popular. People who don't even read the books have clung on to it. Maybe you haven't, but other people have. Here's the thing. We cling on to quotes. We love them. Have you heard any fun quotes or interesting quotes so far this year from the Raptors? So I really did try and think about this um, and I took it very seriously because I just, I wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to do a good job on your podcast and give your audience something to reflect on. So I have three, actually, I have three. 
Hell yeah. So I would say from a basketball standpoint, I think the thing that stood out to me the most was Kevin Durant complimenting Scotty Barnes and kind of being in awe of his age and his ability, length, enthusiasm, and IQ. I think that was a big moment for Raptors fans and say what you want about Canada and the Raptors having this complex and needing the United States to validate us and blah, blah, blah. Regardless of any situation, if Kevin Durant, one of the best players to ever play the game, period, is a little bit in awe of the rookie that you drafted, it's going to matter to a fan base. And that has nothing to do with feeling inferior. So I thought that was really nice to hear. And I think that it was echoed by a couple other people, but Kevin Durant saying it, I think that mattered a ton. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a fantastic point. He's also, he's commented on quite a few Raptors players. Mm -hmm. He said Fred was stamped. He's kind of wax poetic about OG's game as well. Yeah. We're still waiting. We're still waiting for the Pascal commentary. I, my fingers are crossed for that. You know, we just need Kevin Durant. And he's also a guy who, judging by his online behavior, he goes out looking for people who say good or bad things about him. So he's looking for sensory overload as far as feedback on what he's doing. So he gives that to other people, except he's doing it in a more positive light for some than others. And Scotty. Heard- oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I was going to say, I heard a fable about Kevin Durant. A fable? Um, a fable. Yeah. So I heard that he, so he does interact a ton online. And I heard that he's very open to be ha- to having d- dialogue with people, particularly in the media. Um, and that there was a blog or a podcast or something um, in the Bay who was criticizing him and criticizing his game. And whatever went down, it resulted in him inviting them to come watch game film with him. And so he sat and watched it and like talked to them about like the things that he's seeing and like what they're seeing and why they come to the conclusions that they did and just had kind of a, an open dialogue moment about it. Um, so I, that's what I heard from somebody in the industry. So I do want to say allegedly, um, and that's why I called it a fable. But in terms of the the quirks, I guess, with Kevin Durant, I'm in awe of him in many ways. Yeah, that that's really cool as far as, you know, just something to do. I wonder if that was a deeply embarrassing experience for that. that <laughs> well, the, like, here's the thing. I... I know I would say, and this doesn't mean I'm better at conveying it, but I certainly talk about more, uh, I don't know, analytical and kind of like schematic stuff than most people in the space. And that's, Mm -hmm. is that something that people even want to hear about? Who knows? But it's something Mm -hmm. that I talk about. Mm -hmm. I am at a significant, significant information and knowledge deficit to anybody in the NBA coaching, people who work on the sidelines in any capacity, anything. I know significantly less. Walking into an NBA player's house and watching film with them, I think would be, if I had any ego attached to it, a deeply, deeply embarrassing experience. In fact, I I do a podcast with a coach, and every time Evan starts waxing poetic about something that I have no idea about, you just have to drop the ego and say, I don't know anything. So if I was critiquing... If I was critiquing Kevin Durant and saying, oh, you don't like Kevin, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And then he said, okay, let, come inside and let's talk about rotations. Let's talk about X outs. Let's talk about peel switching. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm about to get owned. And uh, yeah, that is fascinating to me. That's also, I think, uh, Zach Lowe, you know, after Kobe Bryant had passed away, told a story about how Kobe Bryant invited him over to watch like X's and O's with him. And he apparently Zach Lowe passed the test for what Kobe decided 
would be valuable in media. So that's, oh, that's good. The cosine. Yeah, the cosine, right? So that's very interesting. Is that Kevin would do that? I wonder. I do wonder if allegedly. it went good or bad. Oh, sorry, allegedly. Yes, allegedly, this is what I heard. So, who actually knows what went down? Because I feel like there's always six sides to every story. But it wouldn't surprise me um, if it if it was true. Because I feel like he does seem like somebody who would be open to something like that. Um, another one of my favorite audio sound bites was Nick Nurse saying Kyle was in the starting lineup um against philly yep. i like that when he's yeah, like old, old habits die hard he's like kyle and then also he's like goran who also never played again from that day <laughs> forward um and yeah so i think that was against philly um and then did you listen to fred van Vliet on all the smoke no i haven't so he's always such a great interview, so insightful mm-hmm. and takes the time to really add something to the conversation. He gets what the media is looking for, right? He has a podcast of his own, so he's not going to mince words um, and he's going to give you some substance. Um, but one of the things that he said was that he never really saw any NBA players or went to NBA games till he was nearly 20 years old, which, you know, of course, in the NBA and upper echelon basketball world is strange. There's always a big bro, little bro situation. There seems to be all these ties through camps, AAU, um, whatever the showcase may be at the time. So he said he never was really involved in that by the sounds of it, but he saw an uh, Allen Iverson interview and Iverson said something along the lines of at the end of the day, I could live with it, the results, because I did it my way. And like that, he said that shit really resonated with him. And honestly, I agree with that in a broader sense. I think that there is a push for me at least to kind of, figure out a way to do things in this like crazy, crazy industry um, in a way that I can kind of live with. And so I thought that was kind of cool that he had that perspective. And he basically Fred said, listen, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, whether it's successful or not, I'll live with the results because I got to at least captain the ship. Takes a lot of confidence because if you, if you have the confidence to fail, I think it means you have the confidence to know you'll succeed at something else. And that is, you know, that is a lot of self-determination. That's that's right. great. And especially, you know, Fred is something that is so win or lose as getting to the NBA, like getting to the league, mm-hmm. especially, you know, from a contract status, right? And the way that he turned, you know, undrafted into where he is now, where genuinely Fred has been all-star level so far this year. Maybe he won't get in, you know, he's, he's not as beloved by, you know, fans as he is by metrics, especially the catch-all metrics, but the the reality of his game sits somewhere in between. And that in-between ground for me right now is definitely in all-star status. So that's been something that's been fascinating to watch. So hell yeah for him to convert that. My favorite (laughs) quote of the season is something that you touched on earlier, though. It's where Pascal was saying, like, be kind to yourself. And that's what he urges for himself. And so I think that's great in, you know, sports typically, a lot of fans want to hear, like, you know, Jimmy Butler's in the gym at 3 a.m. And Jimmy Butler's like, everybody's soft except for me. I'm hard. And whether that's true or not, uh, you know, it's not valuable for every different personality type. And I'm very happy. I think that Pascal is finding something that works for him as far as from like a headspace. But uh, what's your third quote? Uh, that was three. KD, Nick Nurse, Sang Kyle, and then Fred Van Bleed from All the Smoke. Oh, um, oh yeah, I guess I the Nick Nurse of, one. Right, right, right. Yeah, I just like dumped that in. There's not really much to talk about. I just thought it was hilarious when he did it. Um, mm-hmm. 
but kind of to to your point about Pascal, I like I think that he's not necessarily afraid to fail anymore. And I think on from a broader perspective, out, even outside of basketball, we are taught to believe that failure is bad and that you have to do everything that you can to avoid failure. And oftentimes that can have negative implications because you continue to try and, you know, shove a square peg into a round hole, or you don't necessarily think of ways to combat a problem using innovation, or you stay in a situation around maybe people that aren't necessarily good for you. And so failure, I think has this false narrative surrounding it that it's always going to be a bad thing but I think sometimes you need to fail to figure out a different way that might be more impactful for you whether that's on the basketball court or not and so I think that this Raptors team is going to fail at a lot of things this year throughout the course of the season but I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a bad thing at all for them. Do you know that Dutch immigrants uh, used to a building thing they used to do. They actually used to hammer square pegs into round holes. No, they did. Why? Why? It was just something they did. It didn't stick around for long. I think in their construction, it had like a, a usefulness period of like 80 years, which is not long for any method or anything, but it's something they did. And the reason I know this is there's a small museum in the town of Sturgis that uh, elucidates on this. And also because last year during the playoffs, Lewis and I from Minute Basketball, that was one of our our features was square peg and a round hole. And we talked about how certain teams were doing that. But it, it reminded me of that. The Dutch immigrants who actually used to hammer square pegs into round holes. So don't go assuming because apparently it was useful from 1620 to 1700. But then they innovated and they said, listen, we can probably do this in a better way. And maybe if they hadn't been so afraid of being embarrassed by their... <laughs> their method that we would have had better, more architecturally sound and potentially safer buildings. <laughs> I, I wish, I don't know what the equivalent in like speaking Dutch is for, well, son of a bitch. But when those, <laughs> when they saw somebody just hammer is something round into a round hole, they must've yeah. been absolutely floored. Like, damn. Yeah. Beside themselves. Yeah. Absolutely beside themselves. They they couldn't believe it. You know, immediately they were down in Arkansas. Well, damn, I didn't know you could do it like that. Sort of, sort of thing. Are okay. they from Texas? That's that's where they, they immigrated to. Actually. Oh, okay. Got it, now, got it. Allegedly, of course. I wasn't but, sure what that accent was. If we were doing Matthew McConaughey, if we were doing Dutch immigrants, I just wasn't sure. Okay. Uh, do you have any accents? Is that something you ever partake in? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You do not. seem like somebody who's, you know, above that in some degree. I am not. I'm just I'll, not I'll accent anytime. I'm not good at it. I sometimes mess with a British accent, but I fall out of it very quickly. Um, I think it was in one of my Raptors recaps one time and it was awful. And I was just like, what was that? I'm going to keep it in, but like never again. Did um, you get any feedback? No, no feedback. But I think in that instance, it's fine. I think you just like take it and move. You just like leave it and move on. Stick it and move. Yeah. Okay. You don't need I get to it. Talk about it again. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things. Like if you say something dumb around your group of friends and people like kind of look at you, but they don't say anything. So we've acknowledged that it was not funny or awkward or something like that, but they're kind enough to just keep it pushing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's great. My accents. Do you do any? Oh, Ashley. 
Oh, I do all the accents. Of oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's right. We won't get into it here, though. So you, okay. you don't have to worry about it. I, I won't subject you to that ever. Uh, Ashley, that seems like a podcast. How do you feel about that? I feel good about it. Me too. Me too. Did you enjoy yourself? I did. You gave me food for thought, uh, both in a positive way and a negative way. The positives, you know, there's some life, there's some lifestyle quips in there that you had that seemed valuable. I could apply that to myself. And the negative one, uh, you know, the optics of my uh, accents in my brain are certainly not as positive as coming into this podcast where I prided myself on my accents, perhaps more than anything else I do in my life. Yeah. Wow. Well, listen, opinions are subjective. So don't let me hold you back from your future on SNL. Thanks. Another useful quip from you, (laughs) but uh, the floor is yours to plug away anything that you think the listener might want to hear from you or just anything in general. Okay, great. So as Samson said earlier, you can find me on Twitter at SmartAsh. My Instagram is Ashley Docking, plain and simple. Um, I'm doing some betting content on the Parlay, which is a Canadian betting site. Digitally, you can check it out. And uh, if you're interested in taking a look at maybe a new sport that you haven't necessarily indulged in previously, um, lacrosse has actually low key basketball ties in terms of the way that they run their offenses and defenses, zones, screens, and all that stuff. There is a major basketball tie. So maybe check me out on TSN this year. I'm going to be sidelined for the NLL game of the week on the East coast. Big shout out to lacrosse. I played, I would say a fairly high level of lacrosse and then yes, yes, actually. I, and then I, I quit for the same reason I quit hockey because I was playing basketball and I was like, I think I prefer basketball, but lacrosse I played most of my life. And, uh, it's, you know, there, there certainly is a lot of crossover with basketball. That's absolutely correct. And hockey too. It's like a a mix of the two. It's a hybrid. Yeah. I played hockey and then I stopped playing because people got like way too physical. I didn't love that. Um, and then I tried lacrosse once, but it was also very violent. So I wasn't really into that. That, that was something I didn't appreciate, the culture around both of them, at least in, in Saskatchewan lacrosse yeah. culture, basically just mimicked hockey culture. And, you know, I'm not going to be the one to say it, but I'm sure there will be books, there will be documentaries, there'll be plenty of things that dissect why that's extremely harmful um, into the future. So, I, you know, I don't have to like elaborate on it here. But right. uh, people will know over the next few years, I'm sure. But also how- tune into the NLO and TSM. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Big shout out <laughs> NLL on TSN. Yes, of course. <laughs> but also support my job. Thank yes, you. yes. Uh, compartmentalize people, please, for the oh, love of God. No, okay. it's a good point, though. I think that um, male sports in general, there's not, not to say that there's no problems or issues in women's sports, but I think just the long history of men's professional sports, we're seeing it a ton with the NHL, as you mentioned, where all the dirty little secrets that people tried real hard to brush under the rug, um, it's full now (laughs) and things are spilling up. There's no more room. And so a reckoning for sure has already began, I think. Well, the women's sports, I mean, any group of people doing anything, there's going to be problems. But as far as like the, you know, the highlights, uh, WNBA, like the class solidarity, the stuff yeah. there is pretty striking, like pretty remarkable. They're knocking it out of the park as far as I'm considered. 
currently. I mean, I guess they could make mistakes into the future, but I, they're they're doing such a fantastic. We digress job right now. majorly. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. We really Ashley, do. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it sincerely. Any of the quips, any of the basketball takes, or any of the I don't know life advice slash uh, (laughs) warnings of the coming culture shock uh, that you're about to endure. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. Whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.